0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to be gathered with you this morning. Um, If you would turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to be starting there in our sermon today. And um, as Pastor Jonathan mentioned last week, now that we're out of the book of Deuteronomy this summer, we're going to be looking at uh, some of the little letters of the New Testament, but we're also going to be taking some time to look at some specific topics Um, And so for today, we're going to do part one of Lord willing, maybe part two or part three of series on biblical foundations for evangelism. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And then Lord willing, uh, several weeks into August, we'll come back for a a part two. Uh, So pray with me as we begin today. Father, this morning as we gather as a church, I pray it would be evident to us that we of ourselves have nothing to set before each other. But I'm so thankful that we have a Father in heaven who delights to give good gifts to his children. And so this morning, we ask and seek and knock that your Holy Spirit would be given to us to let us see and know Jesus Christ the more clearly through your word. That our love for you And our service to you would only increase and abound because of this time together. We pray that this would happen for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we think about evangelism today, I think there's a lot to be be covered. There's a lot to be said. There's a lot happening in the professing church in America today. And I just want to set a little bit of context for us. Uh, Back when I was at college, I was part of a student group where we trained students to know what the biblical gospel is, what has God taught us in his word about how we are to go about proclaiming that to other people, and then we would go weekly out to the streets of Chicago to get into conversations with people about Jesus Christ. It was great, but one of the things that I like to do is uh, when new people would join or when a new semester started, we'd have a new group of people, I would ask them, why did they choose to come and be a part of this group? I wanted to kind of hear the reasoning and what their, where their heart was at. And one student, uh, his name was Ben. He was a senior, a theology major. And when it came to his time, he said, it would be a shame for me going four years through a Bible college to be able to talk about all the finer points of the gospel, being united to Christ, adopted into God's family, and yet not be able to, in a simple, clear way, tell the gospel to an unbeliever. And I really appreciated that heart. And uh, and. It was really great to see that. But how much more is it a shame for so many believers gathering together week after week in local churches if they are not equipped to share the faith of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel with an unbeliever. But too often, a lack of clarity about what the gospel is and what God has taught us about evangelism is the norm in the church in America today. There was a study done a few years ago by the Barna Group That asked some questions about sharing your faith. And they kind of divided this up across generations. One of the things that they asked people in this study. Was if they agreed with certain statements. And one of the statements that they said is. It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs. With someone of a different faith. In hopes that they will one day share the same faith. That is, that's evangelism, right? That's disciple making. We're sharing our faith so that they would one day come to faith in Jesus Christ as well. So they asked people, do they agree somewhat or strongly agree with that? If you want to jump just to the next part there, this is what they kind of came up with. So if you look um, from right to left, it's elders, generation, boomers, generation X, and then millennials. Second question there at the bottom, that's that question. It is wrong to share your faith. And what they saw is 20% of those surveyed in both elders and boomers agreed or strongly agreed with that statement. Then it increased in Generation X to 27%. And then in Millennials, 47% agreed with that statement. Which is, we don't have time to get into all this, but it's really interesting because you see the top, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus, almost 100% across all generations. The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus, almost 100% across all generations. Then you get into things like, is it, wrong? is it wrong to share one's faith? Nearly one in every two millennials said they agree with that. Where's the disconnect? Now, I'm not, I'm not here to, to jump on the millennial generation. I'm just saying there is increasingly, in America, misunderstanding and clarity of what the gospel is and what God calls us to do with it. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, and I, I think it was, it was discouraging in some ways reading Christian leaders, listening to them, responding to some of this information, um, there was not a call to more biblical instruction. Instead, there was a call to reimagine evangelism with these new generations in mind. But I believe that God has thoroughly equipped us in his word for every good work, which includes the work of evangelism. So, Lord willing, this Sunday and again later in August, we're going to look at what I believe to be some of the foundational biblical principles for us as the church to understand about evangelism. And we're going to focus more on, again, what the scripture teaches and less about some of the practical methods. So I'm not, it's not going to be a six steps to leading your friend to Christ. Uh, we will hit practical things, but it's going to be more focused on the biblical instruction for us. And today we're going to look at two things. We're going to ask, what is the gospel? And what should we expect when we witness? So 1 Corinthians 15, look at the first five verses. We read, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. In these verses, this is just obviously the start of chapter 15, where Paul talks about the resurrection from the dead. And Paul is setting up that argument by uh, reminding them, giving a summary of the gospel that he preached to them when he was in Corinth. And I want to take a look at six elements of the gospel. Thank you. Uh, six elements of the gospel and evangelism in these verses today. We're going to look at uh, the message. We're going to look at the person of Christ, sin and judgment, atonement, the resurrection, and response. And look at this as a way of equipping us for understanding the biblical gospel. So let's look here at these verses. Verses 1 and 2, we read this. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Elsewhere in scripture, the, the gospel is called the word of the cross or the message of reconciliation. The word gospel itself means good news. Now, messages, words, news, all of that has to be communicated through language. Now, we might be saying, great, got it. Um, Why are we belaboring this point? Um, It's a good question. Really, the reason why I'm belaboring this is because so many people that I've talked to about evangelism, whether in Christian churches or in different Christian groups and gatherings, um, they'll come up and they'll they'll tell me, well, you know what? Look, I, I don't want to be preachy I just want people to see my life and draw them to Jesus that way. And I can certainly agree with the sentiment and I understand where they're coming from that they don't want to be hypocritical and that they want their life to be some form of testimony to the power of Christ and the gospel. But we also have to just stop and, and say, that's not what the gospel is. And usually this is an excuse to avoid talking to people about Christ because let's, just be, Let's just be real about it. It's hard. It's hard to go up and talk to people. And so oftentimes this can be an excuse from that. But, you know, I, um, we had a, a neighbor back in St. Charles, uh, an older lady, lived by herself. And uh, we didn't see her all the time, but occasionally we'd, you know, catch her or talk with her in the backyard or do things. And eventually we, we got to know her and she started to ask us for some help with things. And just small things like groceries or putting in the window AC in the summertime or Uh, taking out the trash, whatever it was, just little things. And over time, she began to share some things with us about her family or about her health. And so I started asking her, I said, hey, Isabel, can I pray with you? Her name's not Isabel, by the way, but... um, I said, can I pray with you? And she welcomed that. And so over time, as, as we kept on doing this, I became convicted because I said, I just was thinking, there's no reason. She is open to talking about things. There's no reason why I have not told her the gospel. And so, was praying about it, uh, praying with Rachel, praying with brothers and sisters here in uh, prayer groups, and one Sunday she called me and said, "Hey, can you come over and help me with something?" And I was like, "I said, yeah, sure." So I'm praying as I'm going over there because I'm just going, "There's no reason for me to go there and come back and having not told her the gospel." And it wasn't anything fancy. I just finished doing what we were doing and I, was getting ready to leave, and I just said, "Hey, uh, hey, Isabel, can I talk with you about something?" And she said, "Yeah." I mean, is, is everything okay? You're not having another baby, are you guys? And I just said, no, 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 okay, that's, that's not what I'm doing. I, hey, um, I just said, hey, I I, know, you know, just talking with you, I know that you're, you're lonely here, I know you have family struggles and, and health problems, but I wanted to talk with you about Jesus Christ and the hope that you can have in him. And we talked about that. And so we sat down and I was able to talk through the whole gospel with her. And she didn't put her faith in Christ right then, but the good works wasn't going to save her I'm grateful for that opportunity but it is the gospel that will save so we have to come to an understanding that living a godly life is not to the exclusion of proclaiming the gospel telling people about Jesus Christ is actually one of the good works that God calls us to do and a godly life provides support for that witness it doesn't replace it so the gospel is a message and to be faithful to Christ we have to tell others all right, so second, the person of Christ. So we're talking about what is the gospel? It is a message. It deals with the person of Christ. Paul says in verses three and four, he says, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. That word for Christ, it's uh, the Greek word for the anointed one or the Messiah, and it's bringing with it all of this Old Testament promises of God sending a savior To deal with sin. So, here, this is we're going to need to deal with who Jesus is when we talk to people. The apostles, when you read in the book of Acts, they had to go through the Old Testament scripture to explain to people who Jesus is because so many people misunderstood. That's no different for us today. We're going to have to take time to tell people who Jesus is. I'll give you just one example uh, of this Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator. Whenever I talk to people, sometimes people have a hard time understanding why does God care about what I do? Sometimes it comes down to a, if, if I'm not hurting anybody, then what does it really matter? I, I can't imagine that God would care about me saying that thing or doing this thing. I, I even had one person tell me, he said, um, but he, he said, why, I, I don't understand why I have to ask God for forgiveness. I've never done anything to him. I don't even know the guy. And when we hear that, you and I might just understand kind of the silliness of this, because we know who God is, but they don't. And we need to take time to explain it. So I would talk with people about the scripture. Like Colossians 1 says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, And for him, for him. What about Revelation chapter four, verse 11? Here, the 24 elders fall down before the throne and worship the Lord saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. What we learn from the scripture is that because God made us, then we rightly owe him all our devotion. Every thought, every word, every action should be lived out to the glory of God. That's why sin is sin and why we are accountable to him. So in order for people to understand the gospel, we're going to have to take time to explain to them who Jesus is. So the person of Christ, we're also going to have to deal with sin and judgment. So so many people today in an effort to remove the hard truth about Christianity have tried to, uh, to make it more palatable to people, have taken out some negative things and tried to put in more positive motivators, right? So you'll hear people preach things like, well, come to Jesus to achieve your financial goals or to uh, restore your marriage or to know peace or find guidance or, or any number of things. Good things most of the time, good things, but that are not what the Bible says is at the core of the gospel, The overarching message of the Bible is that mankind sinned against God and that God in his goodness acts to both justly punish sin for believers in Jesus Christ and to justify those who put their faith in him. Amen? This is what Jesus taught the disciples when he rose from the dead. If we look in um, Luke chapter 24, Jesus says, uh, it says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, the Old Testament, and he said to them, "'Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer "'and on the third day rise from the dead, "'and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins "'should be proclaimed in his name to all nations.'" Catch that. The Old Testament is not just pointing ahead to Christ. It's pointing ahead saying the Old Testament was saying God was going to deal with sin, and the New Testament shows God's fulfillment of that. The message is about sin, and then we're going to have to deal then with the consequences of sin, that God has to judge it and bring about death and hell. We have to communicate the gravity of judgment to people. Acts chapter 17, 30 and 31, Paul's preaching to the Athenians and he says that God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. The day of judgment will be carried out In righteousness. And we have to explain to people that means God is going to be perfectly holy and good in his justice. Those who have sinned will be judged and given exactly what they deserve. Nothing more and nothing less. That is not a comfort to guilty sinners. That's terrifying. We need to communicate that hell is real. And when we stand before God without Christ, the judgment that senses us to hell, it's eternal and irreversible. They will not be able to see the danger of judgment unless we do this. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, a preacher from the 20th century, wrote on, on evangelism in his book, Studies in the Sermon on the Mountain. He said, There is no true evangelism without the doctrine of sin and without an understanding of what sin is. I do not want to be unfair, but I say that a gospel which merely says come to Jesus and offers him as a friend and offers a marvelous new life without convicting of sin is not New Testament evangelism. This means that we must explain that mankind is confronted by the holiness of God, by his demands, and also by the consequences of sin. It's hard, but this is the gospel. What, what might this look like in some conversations? Uh, well, we have a healthcare provider that we've been going to for some years. And we've been talking with him off and on about Christianity and the gospel. And not too long ago, Rachel was there for an appointment and was talking with him. And he asked the question, he said, "Uh, do you believe in purgatory? And so Rachel said, no, you know, I I don't see it in the Bible anywhere, uh, but we do see things like the thief on the cross, right? Jesus is there and he says, "Uh, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied and said, today, you will be with me in paradise, right? So they're talking about this, and he says, well, why do you think people do believe in purgatory then if it's not there? So Rachel kind of responded and well, maybe people think that, uh, like the idea that they can contribute something towards their salvation, right? If I do more good works, I get out of purgatory faster, right? So they can contribute something. And he really kind of got hung up on some of this, and he was saying, well, really the only thing that we can do is to just try to do more good things. That's all we really can do. And she stopped him and said, but your good deeds don't erase your sin. You're still responsible for the things that you've done. And he just kind of stepped back and said, wow, that's really profound. And then she was able to go forward more and explain that Jesus' death is about this. Our good deeds can't take care of our sin that's why the death of Christ is so amazing and important, because it is him paying for our sin. So because she took the time to explain sin and work with this and deal with it, it gave opportunity to bring a clear message of the gospel. Or uh, I was at a bus station, and I was, uh, was there, I got into a conversation with a man waiting for, for a bus, and uh, just began a conversation with him, and eventually I just said, hey, what do you think happens after we die? And he said, well, uh, you know, I think there's probably a heaven. I said, yeah, I, I think so too. Do you, do you believe in a hell also? He said, yeah, probably. So I said, well, mm-hmm. what do you think, how does God determine who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? He said, well, I, I think they probably look, he probably looks at your life and he kind of sees what you've done and then he, he determines where to go. So I said, do you think that you'd be good enough to go to heaven? I said, yeah, I, I think I'm a pretty good person. So I took some time and we went through some of the Ten Commandments and just walked through and uh, went through, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever looked with lust? And walking through the commandments trying to show him sin. Well, after going through four or five of them, I just said, do you think looking at God's standard, do you look at God's law and his holiness, do you think that you'd still go to heaven when you die? He said, yeah, I still think I'd go to heaven because those things aren't that bad. Instead of moving on to the gospel and saying, well, you know, uh, I've got the gospel here. This is Jesus and his grace, and it's so much easier than working your way there. I didn't go there yet. I stopped and went back to explain the holiness of God, to talk more about sin and to say, this is a big deal. You and I might not see it that way, but to a holy God, he does. And I think we ended up briefly touching on the gospel, but most of our conversation just dealt with the person of God and our sin, And Lord willing, God will take that and use that in that person's life to draw them to a true saving faith in Jesus. But we have to deal with sin and judgment. All right, fourthly, atonement. This is where we get to the real, the the heart of the gospel, the good news, right? Here we see that Paul says that Christ died for our sins. This is the explanation of why Christ's death matters. There's a lot of people that died 2,000 years ago. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. A lot of people died 2,000 years ago. We don't believe in them. Why Jesus? Well, because it's, it's because Christ is fully God and fully human and chose willingly to step into our place, take our sin, pay the penalty for it in our place and to give us his righteousness. This is what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for our sake, God, he made it, him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. That's why Christ's death matters for us today. That's why we must believe in him. No one else has ever made atonement for sin. Only Jesus has, and that's why we must believe in him. All right. So the atonement, also the resurrection, the resurrection from the dead. Paul says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This might seem perhaps for for some that talking about the person of Christ, the atonement, the resurrection, uh, like maybe a little bit of an ivory tower, academic uh, kind of obsession with just precise theology. I can understand some of that, but it's not about that. This is about whether we proclaim a gospel that has power to save or something less than that. So uh, I remember being in a prayer group at a, a church uh, back in Chicago and praying with some, some people and a, a wonderful sister uh, just said, hey, I would really appreciate prayers for some family friends. We have them over all the time. They're, they're great friends. We love them dearly but they're not Christians. And we just, we just so want them to come to know Jesus Christ. And I said, amen, man, I'd, I'd love to pray for that. And I just asked her, have you ever told them about the gospel? And she replied and said, oh yes, I've told them many times about all the good things that God has done for us. Now we can parse that out and try and get into that. And honestly, I wish my mouth were more open to tell others about the good things that God has done in my life and in the church. But the question is, will that save anyone? Are we actually telling people the message of salvation, or are we saying something less than that? That's why this is important. So the resurrection is a crucial element. I'm just going to read some portions of 1 Corinthians 15, but this is what our faith depends on when we proclaim the gospel here. So there are several things that are really important about the resurrection for the gospel. First, it verifies that Christ's work for sin was accomplished. Paul writes, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The resurrection is the undoing of death. It defeats our greatest enemy. Paul says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. The resurrection of Christ defeats death for us. And it brings about the promise of resurrected life for believers for eternity. Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. It is because of him that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and it does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. The resurrection is a crucial part of the gospel message. All right, finally, what is the gospel? We have to deal with response. What do we call people to do in response to this message? Now, a lot of contemporary uh, evangelistic kind of presentations or things, you'll hear things like, well, come to Jesus or Surrender to Jesus or ask Jesus into your heart. Now, the the only thing that I really want to say about that is that we need to be cautious about what we call people to do in response. Are the words and phrases we're using helping to clarify the biblical response or are they replacing it? We have to be careful. So, the New Testament pattern here, Paul says it's the gospel which they received and it's something that they believed. The New Testament pattern that we see uh, is a call to repentance and faith. So here up on the screen, you see Mark chapter 1. Jesus, when he began his his ministry, went out and said, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is what we see all throughout the book of Acts. Um, Paul kind of summarizes his ministry to the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 17. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith toward Jesus Christ. What is repentance? What is faith? At the very basic level, repentance is a recognition that our sinful ways that we were living and that we are living isn't good, but it is sinful and condemns us before God. And then faith is a looking to Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation, right? It's faith trusting because we we come to a position of saying there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So our witness for the gospel should call people to that, to this kind of uh, recognition of our sin and a turning to Christ as the only way of salvation. All right. Summarize some of this. So, what is the gospel? It's the message, the person of Christ, sin and judgment, atonement, resurrection, and response. What can we learn for our own witness in this? First, we must communicate the gospel to the lost. I don't really care if it's in words or if it's written down or if it's in sign language, but we have to communicate the gospel. We need to open our mouths and speak. Are you taking opportunities to tell other people about Jesus Christ? Secondly, we must address sin and judgment. We can't jettison that and have a biblical gospel. Also, one of the things, just on a practical level, I would encourage you is uh, looking at these points two through two through six here. I use that as a bit of a framework whenever I have conversations with people. As we're we're talking and they're they're making comments. I'm thinking of them in relation to these points and I'm saying, what do they believe about who God is? What do they believe about judgment? And then I'm going further with that. So I'm using this as a, as a bit of a way of assessing their comments you know, what do I need to take more time to address? Uh, it also helps you to know where am I going with this conversation? What do I want to talk about? So use this as a little bit of a framework for conversing with people. All right. Secondly today, major point. What should we expect? What should we expect whenever we're, we're witnessing to people? All right, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through, 20, uh, 18 through 25. So if you want to turn back there, specifically in these verses, what we're wanting to do is we want to look at what Paul teaches about what we should expect for how the world responds to the gospel and how the gospel message's power to save comes from God and not from how we cleverly accommodate it to the world's values. Here we see two responses to the gospel. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It says, It's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the first way that we see the world respond to the gospel is generally that they see the cross as foolishness. And then second, that there will be some who believe. All right. So we should expect first to be seen as fools for Christ. That's what it says in verse 18 and on. It says, the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It says it's a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. All right. So the Jews were expecting a Messiah that was powerful and was going to come in and establish a kingdom. A crucified Jesus didn't do that for them. The Greeks wanted wisdom. They wanted something that was philosophical and exciting and that brought them status in the world. So the cross, when we preach it, it goes against the values and goals of the world. It's foolishness to them. So it's not surprising then, that the normal response that we should expect from people who hear the gospel message is unfortunately that they will reject it. What does that mean for us? What can we learn and be instructed in our witness because of that? Well, one of the things that I have unfortunately seen is that many people, after getting into conversations with people, trying to witness to people, have had a rejection. They've had negative response to the gospel. And I've talked with them, and they, they, kind of, they start to think, and they say, you know what, um, that was kind of awkward. You know, people, they didn't really like that I was talking to them about Jesus. And then we started talking about sin, and they seemed kind of offended about that. And it didn't go so well. It worked a whole lot better when I was just telling them things like, um, you know, God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. It, works, it was just so much smoother. Maybe it, if we just stick with that, it would go better for us. And they start to remove these hard truths, sin and judgment, and they try and craft a message that's more palatable to the hearer. And they do this, usually it comes out with, uh, with this type of thing. It's, it's, a me- it's a method, a method that's more, uh, that's gonna gain more traction with our modern audience, right? But, uh, so they justify it, but brothers and sisters, we have to expect that the gospel message is going to receive rejection and persecution, And if we expect that, instead of adapting the message to the changing winds and the sentiments and the political correctness of our day, we can stand faithfully proclaiming it biblically. But praise the Lord, that is not the only response that we should expect to get. So yes, we have to expect to be seen as fools for Christ and to be willing to be persecuted and stand up for Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel regardless. But we're also going to see that the Lord has prepared a harvest Again, we read, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. In verse 24, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God has chosen to save some. That's what's implied here. Take courage then. While some will reject the gospel, some will believe. That's what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter nine. He tells the disciples um, he tells the disciples in Matthew chapter 9, "The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. The problem that Jesus addresses there is not that people will not trust, but there are too few who will tell." A friend of mine began a conversation with somebody. He was out on a beach and started a conversation with a the man there, and he, he was talking with him, and he said, "Hey, what do you think happens after we die?" Uh, it's, a, it's a good question to just kind of cut to uh, the heart of the matter in some ways. And the guy started talking to him and he said, you know what, I had a friend who died from cancer recently. And for the last few weeks, I've been going to bed and lying awake at night, crying and crying, just wondering what happens. My wife has had to ask me, what's wrong with me? And my friend had the opportunity then to t- tell him about Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. And that man put his faith in Jesus Christ then and began to, Gathering with a local church that Sunday. Praise the Lord. We should expect that there will be a harvest. Doesn't always happen in that first conversation. And often we have to assume that there were probably other people telling him about Christ in some way in the past. But we have to expect to see that. There are people whom God is preparing to hear and believe the gospel. Many people will reject it. But there are many who will want to talk And there are then some who will believe. Now, you may ask the question though, why? Why does God knowingly choose to use a message that is seen as foolishness to the world? Why would he choose to do that? The answer is because it brings him glory. Because it makes clear that people aren't saved by our cleverness that we figured it out or our strength to accomplish it. This is what Paul writes in some of these verses. In verse 21 he says, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And later on in this passage he says in verses 29 to 31 he says, God does this so that no human might boast in the presence of God. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So, the folly of the gospel is actually a part of God's divine plan. And for us to try and avoid the folly of the message goes against the way God has designed this to work. How does that instruct our witness then? What can we learn from that? First, be encouraged. The Lord, in his grace, will save people. He is preparing them even now. So when you, you go and you get into conversations with people don't lose heart when they reject you at that time. Don't lose heart. Don't be tempted to change the message to fit better. Instead, we need to be willing to be persecuted for the sake of Christ and eagerly expectant to still see a harvest. Second then, we have to be faithful to the message. In verse 25, Paul wrote, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Do you believe that? Are we convinced that God's design here, that the gospel in itself is the power of God for salvation? If God has chosen to work through the gospel, through a foolish means, which is in reality the very power of God, then we need to submit to that. We need to be willing uh, to, to look like fools for Christ. We need to be faithful to this message. All right, we've talked a, little bit, a lot of different application points here. Just to summarize, though, we should be praying. Okay, we should begin, if you're not already, you should, be, you should have people that you're praying for, classmates, coworkers, neighbors. Be praying for them, for the Lord to save them. Be praying for open doors for the conversation and be willing to speak there. Commit by God's grace to speak, not Yes, let's live a godly life. Let's do good works and continue to abound in that. But do that as a means of supporting your verbal witness. Paul writes in Romans 10, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Let's be willing to open our mouths to speak. And third, we need to know the gospel and hold fast to it. We need to commit by God's grace to speak the whole counsel of God, hard truths, and the amazing joy of the grace of Christ. We're the harvesters, brothers and sisters. We're the laborers that God is desiring to send out into that field that is ripe for harvest. So let's pray and ask the Lord for his grace to help us do that. Father, Father, we pray And ask that you would continue to stir up our hearts with the love for Jesus Christ. That you would restore the joy of our salvation. And that this joy would spill over into faithful witness to the lost. We pray that you would begin to work in these brothers and sisters in my heart, in our homes, that we would be faithful ambassadors of Christ that we would see the harvest that you have prepared and we'd be willing to go out into that, to labor in those fields, that you would be glorified, that many would come to know Jesus Christ. It is hard. It is not something we can do of ourselves. And so we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit each day and lead us us to this. In Jesus' name, amen.